Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here as ever with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you? Pretty good. Uh, glad to be back, man. And, um, well, eager to get into some film reviews. We've been away <laughs> this time for probably a week and a half, and we made a promise to you, dear listener, that we weren't going to be away for more than seven days, and we've broken it already. But given the circumstances, could you please give us a pass uh, please and thank you. Uh, we've got loads to talk about today, Paul. And to answer your question properly, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, the world's weird. We have been catapulted into sort of future dystopia. I don't really know, you know, what's up and what's down at the moment, but I feel like I'm trying to get my feet back under me. Keep on keeping on, remain positive. And of course, we've got loads of films to dig into and that always helps, I think, to lift the gloom. So hopefully this show can do likewise. Uh, how about you, man? Are you feeling all right? Are you feeling hype? Are you high energy for the uh, show? I'm high today? energy for the show. I've watched quite a lot of films I'm quite excited to talk about um, and quite a lot of films that we'll talk about in future episodes. So I've watched a lot of films, which always makes me happy. Uh, I finished The Last of Us 2, so that was good. I managed to squeeze that into my busy week. That was awesome. So that was good. Uh, so yeah, I'm well, Pete. I am well. Um, what have we got coming up on the show, though? So um, thank you for asking, first of all. <laughs> uh, we have uh, a double feature today. We've done them a lot in the past. We haven't done one for a little while because we felt like we wanted to give proper attention to a couple of movies like the Spike Lee last time out, for example. This time, though, we split our feature time between Eurovision Song Contest, colon, The Story of Fire Saga. This one, the new Will Ferrell comedy uh, currently streaming on Netflix. Also streaming on Netflix, our second feature, which is Wasp Network from director Olivia Assayas. People will know from things like uh, Personal Shopper and Clouds of Sils Maria. That one, as I say, also on the Netflix platform. So what we've decided to do today to keep it trim, keep it efficient, is cut the stream team section just for one week focus on two big releases on a streaming platform that is pretty popular others are available of course uh, and then give you the other sections of the show so those namely are popcorn movies where we review films that we've seen over the last seven days in short form and before that the in the foyer section where we talk about some element of film news we're not gonna we're not the kind of show that tries to cover every bit of film news it's just not that show but something that's interesting to us uh, Paul, have you got anything in particular you want to talk about this week or shall I take the lead on this uh, one? You can take the lead on this one. Oh, actually, no, I will jump in. So the Academy has announced it's reached out to a lot more. I think it's added a, a, a massively large number of new members um, to its voting panel, which is nice, to be honest. Zendaya is included on the list. Florence Pugh's on the list. Ari Aster's on the list. So that's the three kind of names that stood out to me, really. So um, they are they seem to be trying to keep their promise in terms of making things more diverse. Um, and certainly opening it, it certainly opens it up to um, yeah hopefully a wider voting panel. Um, so we may see more we may see more parasite wins in the future. You never know. So um, I just wanted to throw that into the mix. Really, that that is a bit of positive news um, in a current glum, in a current glum climate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'll uh, second the positive with another positive. This is the fact that um, Oscar nominated director Pedro Almodovar, who made uh, the absolutely phenomenal Pain and Glory last year, has been busy beavering away uh, his note papers on a new screenplay. This screenplay has been written specifically for I would say his latter day muse Penelope Cruz Penelope Cruz is what I want to say when I say her name uh, this one uh, provisionally titled Madres Paralelas or um, as to translate to English parallel mothers or twin mothers depending on who you ask it's in pre-production at the moment, so it's early stages, but it seems as though Almodovar's been busy and the screenplay is ready, at least, to move towards production. Uh, looking at a shooting schedule in the early part of 2021. So a little bit away, but not so far as to be meaningless, I guess. And because Almodovar is a director that I think our show just has rubber-stamped over and over again as being of, of a certain quality, and Penelope Cruz is an actress that, of course, we like a lot, and maybe more on her later when we get to one of our feature reviews uh i'm really excited for this uh, pain and glory as you well know paul was my film of last year um how excited are you about the news of more cruise and almodovar i'm very excited in? i mean you, you could they work well together i think would be it would be a, a mild understatement um in all honesty so yeah no i'm very excited to see a new almodovar film for sure i still need to watch pain and glory again properly to be honest as i said before when we read it on the show i was quite tired when i saw it at the cinema hands up full confession um, I do still need to watch that again to really fully appreciate it. But from what I, yeah, 
from my memory of it, it was very, very good, um, as one might expect from that director. So yeah, it colored me excited, which I know is your my favorite mm. phrase of yours. <laughs> uh, so I can tell you this much about the the details that we have so far. The story is going to tell, um, going to give details of the lives of two women who give birth on the same day and have parallel lives. H- hence the title, of course, of the film as parallel mothers or, or twin mothers, if you like. Uh, apparently, Omodovar, the trooper that he is, wrote the Spanish language script while he was uh, suffering an ill with coronavirus, no less. Uh, I-, I would assume that was not the entirety of his writing process was under the or in the throes of coronavirus but you you never know Uh, and then uh, Penelope Cruz not officially confirmed signed on here but Omodovar's made a statement to say that this means he'll be able to work with his dear friend again I would imagine the relationship is at such a point after all about my mother vulva and pain and glory that he can pretty much assume that he's going to get the actress that he wants and probably the film doesn't go ahead without her, uh, I would I would uh, imagine. So, yeah, exciting news all around, really. We might not see the film until, what, late 2021, even early 2022. Who knows? On production schedules, on obviously future waves of the coronavirus, you know, heaven forbid we have to go through those, but... For now, we're going to look at the positives, and one of those is Omodovar and Cruz are back together, and I couldn't be more excited. Paul, let's jump out of this section then, unless you've got anything else you want to bring no, up in the news. No, all good. I can't, uh, top, I can't top that with this week's news, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> cool, cool. In that case, we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with Popcorn Movies after this. Yeah, this is the section of the show uh, where we talk about films of any age that we've seen in the last, in this case, 10 days. Uh, It's normally seven. We'll get there. We will get there, I promise. Um, uh, Yeah, any age, any films, really. Um, And basically what we've been watching, we give you a brief bite-sized review or popcorn-sized review, one might say, of of the films we've been watching. Uh, Pete, what have you you been watching this week? Um, Okay, well, one I rewatched, and I think it might be the third time I've seen the movie, actually. This is uh, Midnight in Paris. From for some people the man we cannot name, for others the director Woody Allen, writer director Woody Allen. Have you seen this one, Paul? No. Uh, really good. It's also on. Uh, I'm going to say Amazon Prime Video right now, so it's available to stream, which is good. I mean, quite a lot of Woody Allen's actually uh, there on Prime at the moment. And Prime Video, incidentally, not to go off on a tangent, but has a quite a deep well of quality films. It's just laid out. They're just very. They're just incredibly well hidden. Yeah. I've noticed this before. Like I. Like, I never really default to Prime Video to stream for something to watch because it is so badly laid out. Absolutely terrible. But, yeah, there is some very good stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. Look around a little bit, you know, uh, curate your list as much as possible, I would say, because as Paul, you rightly say, they they seem to sort of bury the lead in terms of the quality they've got available. And I guess once they've got you on board, it doesn't really matter. They're always trying to push like other streaming services in that front page and so on and so forth. But that's not relevant to Midnight in Paris. So uh, this is uh, a film fronted by uh, Owen. Owen Wilson, who I was saying to my wife on watching this, like, I really think Owen Wilson is a fantastic actor. And I think, I think quite criminally underrated because people associate him with things like wedding crashes and like goofing off and that kind of schlubby stuff. Whereas you look at something like Inherent Vice or this performance here, and you realise like this is a man who's, um, uh, I think like intellect and sort of um, spirit for want of a less wanky word uh, runs quite deep and I think that there's a lot to Owen Wilson I'm interested in him and he's kind of an interesting conduit for a sort of Woody Allen-esque character as well because his performance both channels Woody Allen and also separates itself from a Woody Allen performance now that Woody Allen tends not to be front and centre in his movies anymore. Uh, He stars alongside Rachel McAdams they're a couple who head off to Paris for a trip in which they're going to meet her parents and sort of schmooze around the city. He's a screenwriter, a kind of workaday screenwriter. I should say, I shouldn't say workaday screenwriter. He seems to be absolutely rolling in money, but he's taking very much the jobs for them and not for him, if you know what I mean, right? This is a guy who who's taking big checks, but is not satisfied with the work that he's doing. Once in Paris, he finds himself one night walking home alone without his partner and suddenly is whisked off to the interwar years, the 1920s in Paris, where, of course, you had all of these great writers meeting uh, away from the United States, of course, at that time, uh, and collaborating and sharing their creativity with one another. And this allows for all kinds of interesting um, 
cameos and more developed roles. I mean, you've got the likes of uh, Marianne Cotillard in this as an initial love interest. Uh, Leia Sadu, who's like one of the most beautiful people alive, crops up uh, in the movie as well as a possible another... I mean, she's a love interest for absolutely everyone who sees her, I would imagine. But uh, remembering <laughs> that we reviewed a film on this where uh, she was in a movie, she was front and centre, and the film was called uh, The Beautiful Person, I think, <laughs> and, which seemed uh, apposite. Uh, but yeah, all kinds of great people in the film. Uh, the story's really engaging. It's a kind of, you know, uh, good night, sweetheart. It's essentially good night, sweetheart, but it's set in this beautifully rendered 1920s Paris and then back in the in the modern day. Rachel McAdams is really good. More on her later in one of the feature reviews also. Uh, it's good, man. Of the later Woody Allens, um, and I'm still someone who watches all of them, uh, I would say this is in a handful along with things like Blue Jasmine, um, which are, you know, real standouts of the last sort of 15, 20 years. So uh, check it out, Midnight in Paris, if you haven't. And if you like that sort of thing and a bit of nostalgia and some lovely performances as well, or you want to see Adrian Brody do a pretty bad Salvador Dali impression, uh, that's there for you. Paul, what have you got first? Uh, so I've got a film which I'm pretty sure you've seen, Pete, actually, and I've probably talked about this on the show before. This is uh, The Rhythm Section, directed by Reed Morano. Um, I think it came out earlier this, earlier this year. Uh, that it feels, like that long... feels right, but I think yeah, yeah maybe right just, before this year lockdown. Is so long <laughs> in terms of in terms of time. So yeah, I think it did come out just before the world went mad. Um, yeah, so this is the rhythm section. This is a, I guess the best way to describe it would be revenge thriller starring Blake Lively, um, Jude Law, and I think Sterling K. Brown pops up in this as well. Um, kind of uh, kind of Blake Lively's attempt to go sort of dark, I would say, would be would be a fair description of this. Um, and she does basically Blake Lively's um, parents are killed in a plane crash and she goes after revenge. She goes looking for the people that planned the terrorist attack um, on her way, sort of blundering around in a very blue ruin kind of manner. But this film is nowhere near as good as Blue Ruin, I hasten to add. Um, in a very Blue Ruin style manner, she ends up blundering into um, Jude Law's sort of um, secretive, is he MI6 or isn't he character who trains her to become um, a killer. And she goes on a, a roaring tale of revenge, shall we say. Um, that sounds like it should be entertaining, and to start with, it, it kind of is, but this is the kind of film that takes itself... For me, it has such a preposterous storyline that you just can't buy it, and it takes itself far too seriously throughout the running time. And, like, it, I don't... I just... Yeah, the whole film feels... It feels like it takes itself too seriously. It's all very, very silly. And Blake Lively's good in this, I think, Pete. Would you agree from, from memory? Uh, I haven't um, seen it. Oh, have you not seen the rhythm section? No. Okay, I do apologise. I assumed you'd seen it and you have not, so there's no point in me asking you that no, question. No, I'm... Uh, Blake Lively... Pete, I can tell you that Blake Lively is good in this. Well, I, I was going to say, like, I'm usually on pretty good Blake Lively watch because I like her quite a lot, but no, I haven't got round to yeah. this one yet. Okay, so, yeah, it just takes itself a bit too seriously. It's a bit too po-faced when the whole plot is absolutely preposterous. And there's certain twists and turns. And then the more the plot twists and turns, the more you get... The more you think, oh, what's happened now? What's happened now? And, like, when every twist and turn kind of just... The film starts to further and further unravel. By the end, you're just sitting there going, I don't buy any of this. And you know what? It's a shame because it's the first time in a while that Jude Law hasn't irritated me in a role. So I thought, well, if I can get past Jude Law, I might have a good time with this. Um, and I didn't, unfortunately. It does just ma ma yeah, spirals spirals out of control and turns into a bit of a nonsensical mess towards the end. So I can't wholeheartedly recommend the rhythm section, unfortunately. Do, do you want a chaser on your bit of a nonsensical mess starring Blake Lively available oh, for yes, not much please. money? So it's not a popcorn <laughs> review from me right now, but I'm just going to uh, guide your attention back to a review that I did in popcorn section ages ago. Uh, it's a movie called All I See Is You, in which Blake Lively is blind and then regains her sight. So uh, check that out. You can get it for one ninety nine apparently on Prime Video right now. Uh, worth a look if you're feeling in a sort of Blake Lively in a preposterous <laughs> plot kind of uh, state of mind. Uh, preposterous plots, Paul, uh, as to segue into the next one. Uh, the next one I've seen is uh, from director Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow people will know from particularly Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer. Two movies that kind of blew me away back in the time that I was, I guess, at university, early 2000s kind of time. Uh, because this guy makes these wild, like, inventive action movie come sort of... Um, 
cart like roadrunner cartoon kind of movies where the laws of physics don't really apply you know you can have uh, which of those two movies is it where they have the falling palm from heaven where the special martial arts movie involves someone ascending to heaven and then karate chopping all the way back down to earth i honestly can't remember which one it's been you've made me want to watch all of his films again the, to be honest. this is the territory we're in so in this one uh, it's of course and naturally the story of a mermaid who comes from a colony of mermaids who live in a sort of underground lair a bit like think batman when he goes down to his bat cave but instead you've got a cave populated by mermaids and mermen and like an octo man uh, literally the top half of a man with octopus tentacles. Uh, he's a good time. Uh, the, the plot as it exists here is all about the uh, the mermaid, the central mermaid uh, here played by I believe Chow Deng who is tasked with infiltrating the life of a very wealthy businessman who's planning to um, install or has installed a kind of sonar system underwater in a bay in order to clear all sea life in order to make the bay more appealing for you know profit making tourism but of course if he goes ahead with blasting these like radio wave signals into the water this is going to threaten the existence of all the mer people and we got to take care of the mer people so uh, yeah she's going to seduce him she's going to uh, foil the plan and the mer people will live on in happiness and within that we get like uh, them for example they emerge from their cave by going going through a sort of system of catapults that get them back to the ground. We get a sequence in which the Octo-Man has to follow her to try and observe her progress in the human world, but at one point has to barbecue his own tentacles in front of a, a group of gathered businessmen in order to maintain his front. It's a really good time. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's all deliberately over the top. Um, Stephen Chow's just got a, a mind that I want to live inside of for a little while. And yeah, like some of the movies kind of janky some of the special effects look very cheap i mean very cheap for the it's almost like his ambition goes beyond the money that he has available to him but i'm i'm all for that man because it's creative and it's fun and it's memorable and you'll be talking about it for a long time so this one is the mermaid you can now rent it or buy it from as little as three pounds 49 on prime video what else have you got nice. i'm gonna check that out i had no idea that film existed so that's given me something else to watch this week so thank you um, what else have I got? Um, oh, I'm going high class here. I rewatched Critters. Do you remember Critters? Oh Pete? yeah. Have you ever seen this? Yeah. Uh, Critters gives me fond memories of a night I did. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, reminisce here for no discernible reason before I give a review of the film. So I make no apologies for that. Uh, I once did a Critters night with uh, Mark Brennan, who is a guest host, who's guested on the show before. Uh, we did all four Critters films back to back in one joyous night. Um, and I can tell you now, but I think there was eight or nine of us in the lounge. Um. We might have drank some. We definitely were drinking. I'll just throw it out there. We definitely had a drink. Uh, but the way we turned on each other by the end of the absolutely diabolical Critters 4 was entertaining. I think we had to have a good week apart. Of a, good, a close group of friends had to have a good week apart after all four Critters films in one night. So um, there's a story that no one cares about. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, what did I actually think of Critters, I hear you ask? Well, um, I enjoy Critters. It's no Gremlins. I'll give it that much. It's clearly a Gremlins knockoff. You can't, you can't argue that. But what I quite like about it is it goes a bit it goes a bit darker than Gremlins. There's some genuine there's some gore in it. The little the little critters are genuinely violent. It's quite dark. They swear a lot, um, and it's just very very silly fun with some enjoyable practical effects um, and some yeah it's an, it's an absolutely ridiculous film. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Have you seen Critters, Pete? In, Ages in ago, no, <laughs> no, like like teenage time, I would imagine. Yeah, it's fun. It's yeah, it's a it's a fun. It's one of the. It's probably one of the best. It's one of the better Gremlins knockoffs. It's not to say it's a classic by any stretch, but it's a fun B movie in its own right. That if you like Gremlins and you wanted the Gremlins to swear and bite more people and more blood, then go for Critters, and you'll you'll have a decent enough time. It was alright. Nice. Uh, yeah, not nice is my next one. Uh, <laughs> this is. I said before going live with this show that this is a real hot contender for worst movie of the year. Um, even at this early stage. Uh, this one is a, a new release, Force of Nature from director Michael Polish, or Polish, but I, I kept saying Polish and my wife insists that it's got to be Polish because no one's surname is Polish. And there's certainly not a lot of Polish to this one, Boomtish, because uh, Force of Nature, Paul, do you know anything about this movie? No. 
Okay, so this is a movie that uh, purports to star Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson. Oh, this one, the one with Mel Gibson looking really angry on the on the in the little window for the screening bit. I guess is the way to describe it. Yes, on the poster. Yes, looking very serious, <laughs> holding a gun. Yeah. Now I was yeah. lied. I feel like I was lied to here because our synopsis: a gang of thieves plan a heist during a hurricane and encounter trouble when a cop tries to force everyone in the building to evacuate. Now, the reason I was lied to here, Paul, is because a film set in a hurricane, I am in. Even that one from a few years ago, Enter the Storm, which got royally slagged by everyone. I really (laughs) enjoyed that. You know, when you've got things blowing around all over the place, adverse weather conditions, I love that stuff. There's no hurricane here. There is, uh, you know, very much, you know, movie rain. You know when you know it's raining in one area, but it's not mm. actually raining? The characters are inexplicably yeah. dry, even though they've just been in the rain. <laughs> and the, yeah. the force of the hurricane is such that we can only show like one or two seconds of external shots of a building where a tree is slightly blowing in the wind. And then we just put in lots of sound effects in the background. This is such bad filmmaking. It's kind of astonishing. You kind of have to see it to believe it. And the, the great travesty here is at the center of it you've got the lovely Kate Bosworth who was so good in that movie The Domestics that we reviewed you know not too long ago as this actress who'll do things a bit off the kind of studio beaten track and have fun with it and you want her to have fun with this but there's so little opportunity it's all kind of po-faced we're doing a we're doing a sort of police procedural we're stuck in a limited storytelling environment think something like The Raid but just absolute shit like just none of the the thrill none of the finesse with action scenes none of the investment in what's actually going on on screen Emile Hirsch is here Paul and Emile Hirsch is a lot of things not least a a woman beater from what we're led to believe by the the press but uh, Emile Hirsch is also far too small to be uh, here believable as the police officer that he is supposed to be Uh, yeah Hirsch sort of runs around trying to convince you that he's actually doing anything other than just taking a check oh oh and I've just remembered how the film ends and I won't spoil it but there's a very strange early subplot very strange early subplot involving an unusual pet I'll I'll stop at that and you know because it's been introduced the law dictates that it will reappear again like the unfired gun in the first act and sure enough and oh my god how do you end a movie in that way and keep anything like a straight face now why has the lovely Kate Bosworth signed on to a movie directed by Michael Polish that is quite this bad Paul can you think of any reason are they married they're married so uh, this is I think their second project where he's director and she's lead there will probably be more someone save Bosworth from the guy not in terms of their marriage good luck to them but just work with some other directors because this guy man oh my goodness force of nature tremendously bad like really not funny bad not have a couple of beers and it'll be a laugh have a couple of beers and you'll feel even angrier about how poor this film is Uh, have you got any more this week before i explain i have yes talking of a force of nature can you think of a giant japanese force of nature um that comes what's the first thing that jumps to mind pete well i mean i don't want to say a tsunami so i won't say that uh, no. I'm, I'm thinking Godzilla. Uh, you, no, not Godzilla, Pete. In this case, this is Gamera, oh. the giant monster. This is the other film that I've seen. I thought I'm pretty proud of that, I'll be honest. Uh, so this is Gamera, the giant monster. Um, and uh, to be honest, a, a brazen Godzilla knockoff from 1965. There's no masking that this is just... I mean, you have a, tur- a turtle that's mutated, or it possibly lives between the, the, t- the plates of the earth. Um, that is unleashed by a nuclear by, by a nuclear explosion in the and in the Arctic or Antarctic, I forget. Um, and then this giant turtle wreaks havoc that also breathes fire, but also spins around and flies in his shell, which is quite entertaining. So yeah, we're in we're in proper silly kaiju territory here, but we're also in complete Godzilla knockoff territory. You can't hide it. There's no hiding it. But normally, you know me, Pete. If you put a giant monster in a film, generally that's that's enough. That's enough to secure all five stars, no matter the quality of the film. There's giant monsters in it. I'm happy. Um, not in the case of Gamera, the giant monster. Unfortunately, I don't think I've seen a more badly paced hour and twenty minute film in my life. It's just, I mean, the whole thing, an hour and twenty, so that should fly by. I sat there, I was like, I've definitely got time for this. It felt like about two and a half hours, I'll be honest, and that's not a good thing in this case. Um, the plot is is forgettable. The monsters fine. The kaiju, some of the kaiju stuff where you fi- where you finally get to see the the Gamera running rampant 
is as entertaining if you like men running around in rubber suits trashing obvious models that's quite enjoyable but no this is uh this is not a good start to the gamma series for me i will be watching more apparently they get good i think much later on in the series when they stop trying to knock off godzilla but we will find out there's 12 of these uh, so by, by next week's so. show you would have seen all 12 and you can give the uh the, the combined <laughs> Probably, review yeah. yeah i can give the rundown of the series now i mean i wanted to see it because I'd, i've heard of gamma he you know he's still a part of japanese pop culture um and I do like my kaiju films and I've never seen them. But yeah, I can't heart it again. I didn't love this one. Very, very Not dull, Paul. Not dull. To finish this section is uh, my last one for this week. Uh, Bad Trip, the new uh, sort of prank buddy comedy fiction film of sorts from uh, comedy maverick uh, Eric Andre. Uh, are you a fan of Eric Andre, first of all, Paul? From what I've seen of Eric Andre in his limited acting roles, yes. Uh, have you Have you seen the Eric Andre show? No. Oh, come on. You've got you get yourself down there. It's on YouTube, I think, or, or sections or, or bits of shows are on YouTube or half episodes or whatever. But uh, Eric, the Eric Andre show is sort of a talk show in which Eric Andre tends to introduce himself to the set by smashing up his own desk and then like deconstructing the entire set in various ways. Uh, he's he's uh, thrown up and then eaten his vomit on the show. Uh, it's a it's a staged gag, but it doesn't look that way when they do it in real time as he's interviewing an actual celebrity right, guest okay. he'll just do whatever for the time that his guests are on the show and they can either deal with it or they can't and at the end they either sign the disclaimer the waiver uh, on their appearance or they don't right. there have been people who have said you can't air that material so with that all in mind bad trip allows eric andre to just kind of let that stuff loose into the world but frame it in a kind of you know like the way that uh, johnny knoxville and jackass did where uh what's the movie where he's a is it a bad grandpa no yeah um it's bad grandpa there's that other one that's shit with bad, bad grandpa dirty grandpa is the one with zach efron and robert that's De Niro. it yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just like that movie has a sort of loose plot, right? There's a kind of road trip story going on there. Very much from the same playbook here with the Eric Andre movie. It's a buddy comedy, road trip buddy comedy with uh, Lil Rel Howery, who you know from um, Get Out, for example. Um, And then Tiffany Haddish is involved. Uh, Tiffany Haddish pursuing uh, with a friend of hers pursuing the Howry character and the Eric Andre character as they head to New York City to make all their dreams come true in Andre's case also to be definitely with the girl of his dreams after all these years she'll realize that he is her true love but all of it is just like an excuse to do pranks in public and really like It'll be one of those, man. Like, if you watch a bit of that Eric Andre show and you think this guy is obnoxious and I can't stand (laughs) him, then this isn't maybe going to work. But if you get a kick like I do out of just seeing someone who doesn't seem to care about the kind of conventions of the sort of television that he makes, then uh, you'll be all about this. I I really enjoyed it. It whips by. It's like an hour, 25 minutes. Um, And of course, Tiffany Haddish is good value in it as she is in in most things. Uh, And yeah, some really, really good stunts as well. I don't want to ruin it anything but like it's less um i guess it's less uh high sort of budget than some of the stunt stuff that jackass Mm. did at least latter day uh, jackass where they you know had more money to play with but the sort of zany like creativity and kind of balls to the wall stuff that he does are are a brand all of their own so yeah uh, bad trip's great Uh, check it out as soon as you possibly can paul that's about the end of it i think for popcorn movies is it not that is indeed cool in that case we'll take a little break and we'll pop back in just a moment to give you feature reviews of not one but two features right after this so yeah two features this week um where do we want to start should we start with this should we start with eurovision Let's start with your revision. Well, I don't know. I mean, do you think we should go serious first and then kind of let loose afterwards? Or do yeah, you think right. you no, can no, come... No, you're right. Let's do Wasp Network first. Yeah, I, I think if Wasp I talk Network, Eurovision, I, right. I, I won't be able to come back from it to then talk about this <laughs> espionage thriller second. So Okay, uh, no, we'll do Wasp Network. Set this one up for us, Pete. Cool. Okay, so first of all, as mentioned at the top of the show, this is the latest from Olivia Assayas as both writer and director, following on from his work with uh, the film Personal Shopper with Kristen Stewart that we like quite a lot. Clouds of Sills Maria, of course, with Juliette Binoche and Kristen Stewart again in that one. Uh, And then there have been other films that have popped up on the show in review form, like um, Something in the Air and Summer Hours, I think I talked about. And 
it's instructive, I think, if you have a background in Assayas' work, because you know that he's a director who very much settles on moments of transition, big moments of change, and this film is no different, because what we have here is the story of five Cuban Americans and their attempts to uh, commit acts of espionage kind of in multiple directions at times in what is a very knotty very complex and very layered espionage thriller uh, set in the late 80s and early 90s under uh, Fidel the sort of late days of Fidel Castro's communist um, Cuba and the connections to an operation that is rooted in Miami um, and the interactions between Cuba and the United States on multiple levels, uh, both governmental and sort of law enforcement level. Uh, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to dig into. There are also some big performances. We've got in the movie um, include actors including but not limited to Penelope Cruz, uh, Edgar Ramirez, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, Ama Diarmas, and uh, on and on, uh, a number more that we'll come to as we get into the meat of the review. But before we give our full thoughts on what is a pretty chunky addition to the net uh, to the Netflix library in, in Wasp Network. Uh, let's hear a little clip. Hola. ¿Cómo estás? Olga. ¿Cómo te ha ido? Bien. Salud. ¿Por qué estamos brindando? Cuatro bombas. Un turista muerto. ¿Te sientes responsable? No, yo, claro. Tenemos que haberlo evitado. Para eso estamos aquí, ¿no? Hicimos todo lo que pudimos. Rastreamos toda la comunicación, desmantelamos la organización también. Ahora, Fanzón, excluyendo. Vamos a brindar, que tenemos muchos motivos para celebrar. ¿verdad? Claro que sí. Tenemos noticias y de las buenas. ¿Qué, qué está pasando aquí? Salud. Que estoy embarazada. <risa> sí. So I think the first thing that jumps out to me with this one, Pete, as I just want to go back to something you said just, just before the clip there is. There is a lot going on in this film. <laughs> like that would be um that would be something of an understatement. I mean this is this is a dense film. Um and I have heard accusations made at this film that this film is boring. Um and I won't have it, I'll be honest. I don't think this is necessarily a film I I can't I can't blindly defend this film for some of its density and I'll get back to that. However, I will start in defending the film, um, for sure. So Asias has an eye for detail, and that's that's obvious. That's painfully obvious to see here. Like his, his attention to detail is great. The production design is fantastic, but it is a very dense film. It's such a dense film that I don't necessarily think it's suited to Netflix because the moment you pick up the phone or the moment you walk away from the screen, you will miss something in this film. This film, maybe it's a strength, maybe it's a weakness. This film is so packed full of things going on, so packed full of time jumps. The story jumps around. It's happy to re. It's happy to introduce brand new characters halfway through. Um, in the case of um, Gael Garcia's Bernal's character, he appears. He appears quite late in the film. Um, it's happy just to write people out of the film. Um, and blink and you'll miss it. So this is a film that I think would have fared better on a cinema screen in a dark room with zero distractions. Pete, any thoughts on that before we talk more about it? Yeah, I mean, absolute cosign on the fact that it would it would be a better... I mean, like like so many things, but you're right, it would be a better cinema experience just because of, like you say, the fact that you zone 100% into the movie and sort of get lost in that world. Um, that notwithstanding, though, I think I'm with you in the sort of direction that you were hinting at in terms of your general thoughts on the film, that it... it that's not the end of the story. Like we can't necessarily no. say, oh, if you put this in a cinema, it's suddenly all going to fall into place and he's made the perfect movie given the scenario that is uh, sort of played out here and what we know about Asaias as a director. Because like I said in the in the lead-in, I mean, what struck me watching Wasp Network, um, at least on the positive end of my thoughts, is that Things like um, Summer Hours that I talked about on the show, which is this film dealing with really a transition in generations, uh, an older generation passing away and the passing on of artefacts from that generation to the next generation. Uh, but then things like Something in the Air, which of course is about the spirit of revolution and young people in a, in a tumultuous and sort of changing political landscape, or even something like Personal uh, Shopper, when we've got Kristen Stewart sort of caught between youth and the world and not really really sure where she 
fits. And at the same time, we've got somebody caught between the living realm and the realm of the unliving, I guess, in the the fixation that that film has with ghosts. Mm. It it really marks out a feature of the filmmaking of Olivia Assayas that I come to really appreciate. Um, And I think that's present here too. It just feels like, maybe lazy commentary on my part, but it just feels a little bit like he's bitten off a bit too much here, a, a bit more than he could chew in terms of cramming this much pure plot into a film that is and I say this advisedly, but is only two hours long. Mm. It feels like there's at least a three-hour film here, or uh, as I think you've suggested um, previously or off the show as well, uh, maybe even a, a mini-series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of content. I think I completely agree that this would have been suited to either a longer film. I'd be intrigued to see if there's a director's cut sitting somewhere on the cutting room floor. Um, I'd be intrigued to see the story behind this, because my understanding is this, is this is a film that Netflix bought, so it wasn't made for Netflix necessarily. Um, so I'd be intrigued to see what the story is and why this wasn't a TV series because a hundred percent, like as I said, it's I don't think I think it's a long way from a bad film and I think it's a long way from a boring film and I will reiterate that because I genuinely don't like that criticism of this film. But there is so much going on here that it could have benefited from being a much more open project without without a doubt. Um, yeah. We, I mean, we should say a little bit about the, the basics, like the nuts and bolts of the plotting is that we have the Edgar Ramirez character who is married to the Penelope Cruz character. They're in Cuba and then without warning, essentially, as we understand, uh, Ramirez character defects to the United States um, and lands uh, in Miami, uh, aforementioned Miami, to try and make a go of things there with the goal in mind that he's going to pave the way for his wife and then young child to join him in the United States. And this is where we kick off. But like you mentioned earlier, it's not as if we then follow the sort of linear back and forth of their relationship as it pertains also to the relationship between Cuba and the United States. We also introduce layer on layer on layer of further relationship complexities and just sort of political and social complexities too. We have this couple uh, played by Ana Diamas and the actor's name, which is in the list uh, here. Mora. Wagner Mora, who is a really interesting man to look at. He looks like the amalgamation dropped, of about... dropped a lot of weight since he played Pablo Escobar. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he looks like the kind of mashup of about three quite well-known actors' faces. It's an interesting <laughs> look. I sort of see a bit of uh, a Michael Shannon in him, but then, yeah, there were a few people that came to mind. Look at him, really interesting to look at. But anyway, yeah, their relationship where he keeps a lot secret from her, he seems to be involved in nefarious uh, goings-on that he won't explain to her in any detail. So we've got uh, the uh, Diamas character sort of left at a loose end to try and figure out what it is that she's marrying into as their relationship picks up. But there's all these spinning plates. So we're following that relationship. We're following the Ramirez-Cruz relationship. We're following Gail Garcia Bernal's character when, indeed, he's introduced, what, 40% of the movie's already gone. Uh, And then we've got, on top of that, sort of higher-ups on both the Cuban and US side. So like you said earlier, I mean, if you blink, you're going to miss plot detail. And I guess it's not only that for me, it's the fact that the contemplative stuff that Asayas does in a film like Personal Shopper, the time you get to spend with an individual character, and Kristen Stewart in that movie, her her character, of course, uh, is is really... um, I really sort of luxuriate in that time in his films, you know, time spent with individual characters. And and I found myself here so often feeling like I want to spend more time with the Cruz character. I want to spend more time with the Edgar Ramirez character and just follow those plot lines for a while longer. It feels like a sort of John le Carré novel that's been condensed into two hours, which mm. then doesn't feel quite right in certain ways. Um, but talk to me, Paul, about... What you further than like you say, um, it not really being deserving of the boring tag. What you like about the film and the the, the set dressing you mentioned earlier yeah, on. Yeah, I as think well. I alluded to that. The production design is incredible. Like Asias' eye for detail is you know is is evident here, and the film looks fantastic. Um, he's it's clearly it's clearly a, a I, well, I'd say it was. I guess it's a passion project for him. He, he seems he seems to know his stuff. He seems very ver- I said it's versed very well versed in history. I did some reading about it afterwards. And the fact they've got the the fact they've managed to get the full participation of the Cuban government involved uh, means I learned a lot from this. To be honest, I had I had an idea of I had well, I'd never heard the term Wasp Network before, but I had an idea of sort of Cuban counter and espionage, and everyone is kind of 
aware of the story of Cuba and where it sits with the United States. But I did feel I learned a lot from this, which is always a good thing. Um, and I think it, it didn't it didn't hold back on its it didn't hold back on on anything really in terms of um, it, it, well it was careful not to not to criticize the Cubans it didn't really criticize the U.S. In, it, but I think that that was quite subtle it kind of scoring scoring political points subtly I think as the, as the film went along um, so that was good and again like having the having the involvement of the government on board I thought was really good so the attention to detail was there uh, for sure and that was fantastic and the, you know the performances here are good I just I think um, Anna de Armas is wasted here um, going back to a slight negative she doesn't really have a lot to do and I've like just there's a lot of characters it's 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 almost like a nice problem to have where you go I wish this was longer it's very rare you go into a film and come out and say I wish that was longer normally it's the other way around um, but I do wish this was longer I wish there was more to this um, and I do wish there was was there was some yeah, I hope maybe there's a director's cut maybe they cut into a TV series I don't know my concern is now it will probably get lost in the algorithm and this will be the last we ever see of it. Um, but we shall see. And I think to close on it for me is when I saw the trailer, I remember seeing the trailer a few months back and on paper, you see Olivia Isaias, you see Edgar Ramirez, you see Wagner Moura, you see Anna Duarmas, you see Penelope Cruz, you see Gal Garcia Bernal. Like you see this talent and you think, right, this could be incredible. And I like on paper, it had so much potential to be absolutely superb. And I think on the basis of on the basis of the potential, it does feel like it squandered it a bit. I'll be honest. It is does rank as something. It's not a bad film by a long stretch, but to me, it still ranks as something of a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I, it's it's a weird one, man, because it's sort of a patchwork quilt of sort of standout, tremendous moments, and then this sense that I think we're building that some of the. Um, decisions end up being a little bit frustrating. I mean, there's a sequence, for example, which is a sort of climactic discussion um, that comes to a head between uh, the Edgar Ramirez character and the Penelope Cruz character about the time that they've spent separated from one another, um, which is fantastic work. And it left me kind of entranced yet again by Penelope Cruz in Spanish, mm. which is just a real marvel. Like the, the, her delivery in Spanish is... Yeah, he's mesmeric. It's fantastic. She's a force of nature. I mean, it's one of the big standouts with Pain and Glory that I loved so much last year. Uh, but then, but then it just it just feels like it's it's very quick to to need to move on all of the time. The need to cut to the next sequence, the need to cross back to, you know, keeping another plate spinning. And I think all of that attention on spinning the plates, maybe the director's eye is slightly off the prize when it comes to really mounting the movie in the way that it deserves to be mounted. So um, I like the film. I like the film. Yeah. And I think I might even like the film a little more on second viewing once I've, you know, got to chew for the first time on all the, the machinations of the plot. But is it sort of top three, probably not even top five Olivia Assayas films that, that I've seen um, and I've not seen all of them? I heard something about a possible... A sequel to Irma Vet recently, which would be probably completely impossible given the fact <laughs> that, that that Maggie Chung was married to Asayas and divorced a long time ago. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where he goes next. Um, I still haven't caught up with nonfiction, incidentally, which is the one that he made with Juliette Binoche like a I year ago. I haven't seen that yet either. So, uh, or um, released, so... Yeah, we'll get around to that. But um, yeah, and thoughts on that maybe in popcorn in due course. But yeah, this one's an interesting one. And I think if you like an espionage thriller, if you like, um, you know, films that plotted in and based in reality and, and, and important historical events, then certainly check it out. It is a film, though, that I think uh, leaves slightly more to be desired, maybe. Um, than, yeah, I than would agree hope. with that. I think I was expecting a magnum and I got a chalk eyes. <laughs> a chalk ice a chalk ice he's given he's given a say us the chalk ice slap down i like chalk ices it's fine but yeah anyway what's next <laughs> well talking of chalk ices of a movie uh we've got another one should we go straight into it uh yeah let's 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 we don't need another break i mean it's hardly a shift in gear is it to go from olivia olivia say uh you know naughty espionage thriller to eurovision song contest the story of fire saga this one also two hours long and also streaming on netflix and that is literally where all of the similarities end uh this one directed by david dobkin and starring will ferrell and rachel mcadams with a rather phenomenal supporting role from for Dan Stevens that we'll get into in due course. Absolutely. Uh, 
<laughs> to, to set up the film, uh, aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition, the aforementioned Eurovision Song Contest. It's a real thing if you're listening to this from, you know, uh, parts of the world that aren't aren't well aware of the contest that happens every year. Uh, they finally have a chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. And so begins a completely ludicrous tale of two <laughs> people who originally, well, who enter the fray in this film, performing a song called Volcano Man on the edge of a mountain, uh, which, which tells you all you need to know, really, uh, about the story of Fire Saga. We'll get right into this one after a little clip. Who wants to hear Eurovision song? So, yeah, Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you should have an idea of what to expect when you see that this is this is written by Will Ferrell and I believe Andrew Steele who wrote Blades of Glory, if I remember rightly. So um, you should have an idea of the tone to expect from this, from, well, any film starring Will Ferrell that's a comedy full stop, really. So that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. I think some of this film's success will hinge on your thoughts on Will Ferrell at this point. Um, for me, Pete, he's one. he still makes me laugh. He can turn in the same shtick in almost any film. I mean, I even I'm not sure about Holmes and Watson, but that's a whole other story. But um, for the most part, Will Ferrell still makes me laugh. He's a one-trick pony, but I happen to like his trick a lot, and he still makes me giggle. There's something about his stupidity and silliness that makes me giggle. And this film undoubtedly has um, silliness in absolute spades. Um, you throw Rachel McAdams into the mix, who is an actress I'm very much like and very fond of. Um, it took me a while to warm up to her in this, but once I did, I think I quite enjoyed her performance as well. She was clearly having, everyone's clearly having a grand old time making this. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it will hinge, a lot of it does hinge on what you think of Will Ferrell. Some of it, weirdly enough, I've read people say it hinges on whether you like Eurovision or not. I've never really been a Eurovision fan and I still quite enjoyed this. Um, so maybe I'm the exception to the rule. A lot of people have basically said, if you'd like Eurovision, you'll probably like this. If you don't like Eurovision, there's not much to take away from this. Um, what did you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start at the beginning. Uh, here we have uh, Pierce Brosnan <laughs> playing. By the way, have you noticed that, uh, that the feral character is actually credited the character's name as Lars Eric Song with a G <laughs> on the end? which is a naming convention that does not exist, but is literally put in there as an extra <laughs> gag. Uh, and then his dad, played by Pierce Brosnan, Eric, Eric Song. Um, so that this is Eric, of course, the son yeah. of Eric in that naming convention. But yeah, in fact, Song for some reason. Uh, and so, yeah, you've got a really ropey Brosnan, uh, like they're Icelandic. Aren't yeah, they? I think, yeah, I think you're right. I, yeah. think, I think, yeah, I think I know what you come around to. I think... If you switch off the moment Brosnan opens his mouth with one of the worst European accents you've ever heard, you probably won't like this film. If that makes you laugh, stay around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it also, them being Icelandic gives them the excuse to bring like this kind of completely unearned pathos to the movie by playing Sigaros yep. music <laughs> under some of the, the pivotal scenes in it, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, uh, Rachel McAdams, you mentioned, but Rachel McAdams, of course, we like so much in Game Night. And I think that she showed there that she's like this really capable comedy actress, as well as doing all the like romantic drama, romantic stuff that she's done in the past as a sort of leading woman in, in relationship led movies by and large uh that she yeah she's got real comedy chops and great comedy timing here and then what a film like this for me really stands and falls on isn't necessarily like you were talking about somewhat it might have to do with your interaction with Eurovision and I think for me my wife and I have watched Eurovision sort of every year for the time that we've been in a relationship so we're I think we laughed extra hard at certain parts of the movie because they got it so no mm. perfect. And I'll get onto that when we continue. But uh, I think it hinges on also the strength of the songs. And I would say that the songs here, if you listen to them outside of the film, which I have done since, there are some really quite good pieces of music when it comes to writing parody Eurovision sort of Euro rap 
Euro pop, Euro ballad music and tuning it into exactly the kind of ear that you have to have for the kind of kitsch that is the Eurovision Song Contest. I think they've done a really good job on that writing side and, and the performance as well. Because of course, Will Ferrell does a bit of backing <laughs> vocal that's actually yeah. in the film. But other than that, all Rachel McAdams stuff is, is overdubbed with a, I think, Swedish singer. Uh, most I think she sings one, I think she sings one song in the dressing yeah. room. If I, yeah, I yeah, she does that and then everything else overdubbed. Dan Stevens has an amazing song uh, about uh, the Lion of Love, I believe is, is that yeah, one? The Lion of Love, yeah. And, and of course, <laughs> uh, on Dan Stevens, which you should get into too, Paul, that uh, Dan Stevens here plays this character where it seems like in his prep work for the film he spent a month or two just acting like a panther or something he's got all of the sort of mannerisms of a big cat and he kind of purrs all of his lines in this weird uh, sort of hybrid Russian block accent that he's been working on for at least a day or two uh, and he was massively good value in this film uh, stand out for you Dan Stevens here I think so yeah he still he steals every scene he's in and to do that from Will Ferrell is is going some to be fair um yeah dan stevens is clearly having again i think that's what comes through is and i'll get to some of the weaknesses in a bit but i think what comes through is the passion is the fact that everyone really enjoyed making this i don't feel like anyone it's easy to level saying it's easy to level phoned in accusations at will ferrell because i said he is a one-trick pony but i don't feel that anyone was phoning this in here i felt that everyone wanted to be on set everyone appeared to be enjoying themselves um and for me that kind of that was kind of infectious and I think carried the film through its through some of its weaker moments, to be honest. Um, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Dan Stevens is an absolute blast here, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, th the way in which they get to go to the Eurovision is just like, again, very transparently, like we can just write in whatever we want. So this would be quite funny. So we'll figure it out that way, which is, uh, yeah, I, I kind of appreciate it. And like horrendous as well. Uh, it's yeah. like horrifying those events when you when you get to them. But you, you buy into it because it none of it matters. The stakes are so low, it's right? It's very silly. It's shamelessly silly. Like the plot points, as you say, what gets them there? There's a there's a there's a bizarre death scene later on that again either will make you laugh or you'll hate it. Um, there won't be any in between. Um, it made me giggle. There's there's just it's shamelessly silly. Yeah, and um, I mean all these other uh, vocal kind of performances, the stage um, design and and kind of choreography of the stuff. Once they get to the actual semi final and then grand final of the competition, I think it's really spoiling anything to say that much. At least, uh, yeah. you, you know things like remember the guy who they show who's dressed with I think he's got flying V guitar and he looks like a metaler or whatever, and then it yeah. starts and he kind of prances to the front of the stage and does this kind of um sort of higher pitched ballad come i don't know what like r&b pop track or something it's really surprising or the one that i've had stuck in my head since because it really got me i don't know in this movie is when they go to uh one of the favorites i think sweden maybe one of the favorites of the competition and you think it's going to be like this really well orchestrated you know song for europe and what you get is a track called cooling with the homies and it's like a rap track oh, the, tr the rap track yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is pitch perfect because it's exactly what you get in eurovision you get like a pop interpretation of rap with lyrics that nobody says in the language that they're being no one says cooling with the homies in any context but this is what this thing is so yeah i mean for me the things that we're going to come on to and i think the things that you'll speak on in a minute paul like weaknesses sort of plot wise and so on are um countered by the strength of just how hard some of the performances hit on a sort of comedic level and also at times on a songwriting level not least the climactic song which is a real earworm and you won't be able to stop thinking yeah. about afterwards yeah i know i would 100% agree with that i think um i think the film is lucky it's so strong in its musical numbers at times because there are i mean this fully runs i think over two hours two hours ten minutes i think this runs which is an insane running time for a comedy film of this nature, in my opinion. And there are moments, there are moments where you, I will be honest, like, despite the fact that overall, I will say I like it. And I think I've warmed to it more. I think we were talking off air, Pete. I've warmed to it more the more I think about it after the fact of watching it. But don't, like, prepare yourself. There are moments where you're kind of sitting there for sort of 15, 20 minutes in like this vast desert where no jokes land at all. Um, so that does have that there are moments like that and there are moments where the comedy doesn't hit and some of the jokes again a sense that comedy is obviously so subjective but there's some pretty lazy jokes here that I mean made me giggle but that's because Will Ferrell delivers them but it's you know it's not there are moments here it's too long I, I'm just gonna just gonna throw out that it is too long 
it is it is too long by probably a good 20 minutes but uh you know every time they bring that guy back the, the few times they do bring that guy back just to scream play ya ya ding dong uh got me every time got me every time um yeah, yeah. so i mean i think if it were like a will ferrell vehicle alone there wouldn't be enough here and i would have got more frustrated and i would have got more bored and i think not i think i'm totally to be you, honest yes. i would say ferrell's performance is at best the third best in the film i think both mm. dan stevens and rachel mcadams even on a comedy level outshine will ferrell but because it's a will ferrell movie it obviously pulls an audience greater than it would without him and i like him like you like you paul i like him too i still think the best stuff he's done is that one character he did in eastbound and down but um but yeah <laughs> i i, I, I like him enough to watch his movies even though i know the hit rate is getting lower and lower and lower as we progress in his career it seems like uh yeah but like i mean to echo what you said it is it's a bit long it's a bit baggy not all of it lands but then again it's a good time and you know this is certainly one you know ha have a couple of drinks uh but you know put it on with a group of friends when you're actually allowed to hang out with people again uh saturday apparently isn't it that uh and yep. you know if you like this sort of thing, you'll be well away. My wife absolutely loves it. She wants to watch it again, you know, as soon as possible, I think. We've been listening to the soundtrack all week since. So uh, I'll, I'll put my hands up. I've also been listening to the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, can't, can't be too bad in that case if you go straight for the soundtrack. I mean, I did, yeah. I did have in mind, Paul, and it's not to, you know, slag Eurovision because this is a high bar as far as I'm concerned. It's not, I mean, let's not get it twisted. It's not Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I mean, it's not there. No, it's not that good, uh, no. No, it's not up there. The no, hit rate is certainly not. higher with that one, but it's it's a fun movie. I like it. I I found it entertaining, and it, particularly Paul, serious face in these troubled times. Don't we just yes. need a bit of escapism and some song number, you know, some songs and some dance numbers to to raise our spirits? And there are Poe sort of face reviews of this online, and people say, "Oh, none of it's funny," and this is the absolute bottom of the barrel. And so, lighten the fuck up come on it's a eurovision comedy film with will ferrell what is it that you thought you were walking into and and if it and if it was this and you've just come here to slag it off like what are you doing why are we wasting our time doing that go and review something else but yeah i liked it it's on netflix watch it if you want yeah i, I yeah check it out <laughs> it's our strong it's our strong close on yeah. the review done yeah that's it end of the show nice uh. nice <laughs> uh, paul you'll always be my volcano man uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, have you got anything to recommend in the credits section that we can close out with this week? Anything that comes to mind? Uh, the Last of Us Two. So I have finished it. Um, it's great. Um, yeah, I finished it. It's great. I won't spoil anything because go in knowing as little as possible. Um, ignore the go won't get broke crowd. They're all fucking bell ends and don't know what they're talking about. It's a superbly written story. Uh, it's very very clever in what it does. It constantly defies expectation. Um, and it's yeah absolutely one of the video games of the year for sure so uh, Last of Us 2 uh, it's great play it Th that's funny though that you say that because a YouTube uh, video that I watched uh, a couple of weeks before the release when those leaks came out reliably informed me that this was going to irreparably damage video games so that hasn't happened right. in the end it turns out uh, I mean not to me no. and I don't think the fact that it sold 4 million copies in its opening weekend um, has really done, done it I don't, I don't think that's happened I'll be honest no. No, absolutely I'm not. I'm just going to throw that out it, there. <laughs> again, like talking about the what are you getting with Eurovision and Will Ferrell, like what are you getting? It's a naughty dog game. It's going to be great. And so take that as red. And yeah, like you said, man, like get off this nonsense about like a particular bit of plot choice or a particular bit of character choice is suddenly going to set the whole thing on fire. Come on. And also one of the things that one of the things the crowd have gone for, and I won't spoil anything, it's just patently wrong. Mm. So they've completely coded a character as one thing that isn't for a start. So that's that's a good. They've gone off on a good start there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm keen to get to it. I've got to confess now and embarrass myself publicly. I'm only halfway through The Last of Us One. So well, you're not alone. You're not alone. I know someone else that has just started playing it because do you know you, you don't know the twist then? I think I it. don't know the twist. I don't think. Okay, well that's good because it's one. The the first game has got one of the best endings of anything. Full stop. Any book. Any film anything i've ever read or watched it's got one of the best endings full stop the first last of this game you're in for a treat it's amazing nice um i guess then i will recommend uh, to line up really with my admiration for bad trip the eric andre road trip comedy silliness that i talked about earlier uh, eric andre's new stand-up special is called legalize everything and it is on netflix now um and it's a good time i mean 
I said to you before we recorded when I was talking about this, Paul, like it's not Eric Andre's best stand up as far as I'm concerned. And his stand up, I don't think, is his best work. But with all that having been said, uh, I would call this a kind of four star bit of stand up content as far as things that are churned out on streaming are because I just have quite a lot of affection for Eric Andre. And I think that that what he can fit into an hour is quite a lot different in sort of flavor than most anyone else who's working and yeah it doesn't mean it's going to be for everyone but I don't really care because it's my recommendation and I liked it a lot (laughs) and when good stand-up specials come along on Netflix uh, it's a real added sort of string to the bow of the platform or any other one that puts up stand-up content because yeah like Mike Birbiglia's one for example that came out not long ago really good check that out too you know there's the new Hammer the new Hammer Gadsby's decent as well yeah I I should watch it it feels a bit like homework because everyone's going to tell me that it's not actually stand-up or blah 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 but no Douglas is more Douglas is more more I'd say direct stand-up than than Nanette was in Penance yeah I I like Nanette it just felt like um, it's a good hour and it's an interesting hour rather than the absolute yeah. center of the zeitgeist that it was made out to be at the time but um yeah anyway eric andre's one legalize this you uh, legalize this legalize everything is on netflix now uh, and that brings us about to the end so uh, get in touch with the show please we have a facebook page uh, that's strangers in a cinema we've got an instagram which is at strangers cinema that's just strangers in the uh, cinema and then twitter is twitter is at strangers cinema yeah. it's so, only been like yeah, 175 yeah, get episodes in touch with us. we don't know where we are on social media yeah yeah we're, <laughs> we're absolute pros but yeah no do get in touch uh, support the show keep supporting the show we appreciate every person who listens and of course if you pass the show on to even a single further listener this will help us more than we could possibly explain in words um it's been a pleasure paul uh, and we'll be back in a week's time Yes, with I think we should review Irresistible next week, the new satire from John Stewart. Um, what what do you say to that, Pete? I might have to uh, then give you another one that we can do as a sort of um, tonic for that, because what you've been saying is that it is dreadful. But uh, if we if we pair it up with something else, maybe it'll be the perfect combo for features okay, next we'll week. Pair it, we'll try and find we'll try and find something good that we can be positive about. Because I don't think you'll like Irresistible, but we'll find out next week. Nice. It certainly didn't prove irresistible to me. (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, yeah, we're we're out. See you next time. Shut up and sit down.